3: They did not execute an innocent man. For everyone that says that I am a liar, I just say that, you know, you don't know me.
4: Welcome to Betrayal, everyone. I'm your host, Darren Karp. Buckle up, people, because today's episode is a betrayal that will leave you stunned Shocked and wondering how someone could do such heinous crimes to the people they allegedly love, from explosive lies to a potential wrongful conviction, this case is gonna have you hooked. And speaking of wrongful convictions, I had to bring on the person I trust the most when it comes to this type of case. She's the co-host of the incredibly popular true crime podcast, Undisclosed. She's an esteemed lawyer with decades of practice, an author of multiple books, and you've even heard her voice on the hit podcast serial. Of course, it's my friend, Rabia Chaudhry. How you doing, Rabia? Thank you so much for joining Betrayal. Hi, Darren. Good to
5: see you. Thanks for having me.
4: You know, last time I saw you, it was at CrimeCon in Nashville, which feels like a different lifetime ago. This was obviously before the pandemic. Uh I- I've missed you so much. Now, Robbie, before we get into today's case, which features... A little bit of wrongful conviction allegations, and we're going to kind of go into the nuances of it. You're probably best known for your involvement in the Adnan Syed Heyman Lee case. In fact, you brought the case to the producer of Serial and launched True Crime Podcasting into the stratosphere. I know there were some recent sort of developments with the Adnan case as it pertains to Maryland law. Can you just give me a quick update about where that case stands and what's next for Adnan? What's next for you in this case?
5: Sure. Well, with the nonce case specifically, um, you know, we kind of hit the the end of the appellate road a couple of years ago, and we have spent the last two years regrouping with a new legal team and um, ha- deciding on strategy. And, and we have been planning all along to be back in court this fall, uh, pursuing a number of different claims. However, in the interim, what's happened is that we were thankfully able to pass a new law in Maryland called the Juvenile Restoration Act, um, which finally brings us into the 2008 Supreme U.S. Supreme Court ruling that outlaws juvenile life sentences and it impacts about 400 uh, juvenile lifers currently in Maryland and it will potentially impact hundreds more down the line. Anytime a juvenile is convicted of, let's say, a crime that could take that could that could potentially have a first degree uh, excuse me, um, a life sentence. Then they would be granted an opportunity for parole, which Adnan has never had, and hundreds of others have not had. So that law takes goes into effect in October, and it opens the door for these 400 or so people to petition a court and say, "Okay, we were sentenced to life as juveniles. We want a shot at being resentenced." And that includes Adnan. It doesn't guarantee that they will be re- get a reduced sentence, but it gives them a shot.
4: Well, thank you for that, Robbie. I want to break down this case with you for this week. And feel free to jump in as we sort of discuss the absurdities of this horrific portrayal, because I have a feeling you and I are going to have an interesting conversation about this. So let's get into it. Stacy was a senior in high school working at a Dairy Queen when a man by the name of Todd Willingham approached her while she was working. Todd approached Stacy and said... Aren't you Stacy who drives a white pickup truck and lives at those apartments? which doesn't seem overly specific, but at the same time if a, if a, a guy came up to me with those two uh, knowledgeable things, I might it might perk my ears. Now Stacy was shocked and somehow flattered that Todd knew so much about her, though she later admits that a random person knowing so many details may have actually been a red flag. Stacy and Todd hit it off right away and before long found each other dating and in a full-blown relationship. Stacey described him as a really nice person, someone who seemed like he really cared about her and showed her a lot of attention, clearly paying attention to detail here about her life. Things went well in their relationship early on, but not long into their relationship, things started to take a slight turn. On Todd's 20th birthday, Stacey informed Todd that she was pregnant with their first child. Stacey, who was only 18 at the time, did not get the kind of
3: response that she was hoping for. I told him I was pregnant and he said, you better not be. He goes, you know, I didn't ask for a kid. I don't, I don't want a kid. and I don't want a wife. I, that's not the life I want.
4: You this information ended up being more significant turning point than just the fact that they were pregnant. This is kind of a pivotal moment here. Stacey spoke publicly about the fact that her relationship became much more physically abusive after she told him that she was pregnant for the first time. Stacey even remembered a moment where Todd pushed her in a bathtub while she was pregnant. And she asked why did you push me like that? I could have had a miscarriage, to which Todd responded, well, that wouldn't be a bad thing. Uh, You know, when I was hearing this, Rabia, it really pains me. I mean, for lack of a better term, this is just a really shitty thing to say and what seems like a shitty guy, to be honest, uh, whoever would do that. This kind of behavior kind of seems maybe all too common, especially in male culture. Uh, Do you, this is a major red flag for you, right? Considering she tells this guy she's pregnant and then he's
5: pushing her and being abusive and then saying horrible things I mean it's an it's an absolute red it's an absolute red flag to get out of this relationship and but I will say this as an attorney who has both represented a lot of female victims of domestic violence and who also herself is a survivor from um, a a violent first marriage I do understand how those red flags don't feel like red flags when you're in it how 30 minutes later when he's calmed down you're like Okay, it's going to be okay. And and I also understand the sense of like shame, you don't tell people, you know, that kind of stuff, but certainly somebody her age, so young, suddenly she's pregnant, probably doesn't have a way to support herself. It's scary and you're thinking, how do I do this without this guy? Right.
4: It's really easy, I think, to justify the behavior in the moment, to your point. Sometimes you have to take a step back and we're just only we're going to get into more of that later. But Stacy was willing to overlook the pain and misery, to your point, that Todd was causing because she was dedicated to keeping the family together even before her family with them even started. And, and just, you know, Robbie is giving a, a really good portrayal of maybe what was going through her mind and in fact, as their family grew, so did the violence with Todd. When their first child, Amber, was just eight months old, Stacy discovered that not only she was pregnant, she was pregnant with twins. Uh, so their family is kind of tripling in size here. And as you might imagine, this didn't go over well with Todd. Stacy recalls this tragic moment where Todd began physically hitting her with a phone that she was trying to use to call the cops. In fact, he hit her so hard with the phone that the phone broke apart. Stacey didn't end up calling the cops, thinking that as long as the argument was sort of over, she could move on from the moment and not have to deal with Todd's anger issues. Robbie, how I think it's really easy for people to judge on the outside a relationship like this. I think we can all can say like, well, she leave, you know, like it, it's clear. It's it's, but just kind of give maybe even just a lawyer perspective of like. It's kind of common for a lot of people to stay in abuses, as unfortunate that, as that is, because we're kind of so scared to leave that abuse. We don't know what future abuse could kind of happen. Is that right? Or what do you
5: think? Yeah, you, you. we all think if I was in X situation, I would do this. And we have no idea what we're talking about. I mean, I grew up in a family that was very stable. My father, I never saw my father, you know, raise his hand to anybody. Not my mother, not to his kids. Um, there was no violence. And I always thought, my God, if, if my man hit me, I would leave. But I didn't leave for five years. Um, there's so many reasons. I mean, there could be that she has nowhere to go. We don't know what her family, but does she have family support? Does she have somewhere to go? Does she have a job? Does she even have a car? Um, you know, three children. Imagine the cost of um, diapers and formula and and medical care for three kids. It's not that easy. Many, many people feel trapped um, and and that's why these are cycles of abuse. It's it's cyclical. It can take a long time unless you have some a support system, unless you are able to like put some money away. I mean, like there there's a it, it can take years for a person to to get to the point where they can finally have um you know whatever it is they need to to leave. So I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't um I, I completely understand why people don't leave and and in this case, Stacy.
4: Well, thank you for being so candid about your own experience, because I think that's sort of helping a lot of people here. And after about six weeks, Todd profusely apologizes to Stacey, sort of this cycle of abuse that you were mentioning, Rabia, saying that he was very sorry, saying that he was very sorry he truly had no idea why he did what he did. Is there a world where he might not have known
5: what he did? Rabia? No, I don't think so. I don't even think, look, I'm, I don't drink or do drugs, but I'm imagining even in that those conditions, even if you're inebriated and high, you know what you're doing. Uh, and it certainly shouldn't take six weeks for you to come back to your senses. No, I mean, it, it sounds like he was a classic abuser. My guess is he probably grew up experiencing something similar. Uh, yeah,
4: I imagine so too. It kind of all stems from childhood. And Stacy believes Todd and gave him the benefit of the doubt, believing that everyone makes mistakes, which I think is kind of this natural reaction to it. So later, Stacy gives birth to the twins, going from a family of three to a family of five overnight. And when the twins were about two months old, Stacy begins to think that Todd may be having an affair because he was disappearing a lot. Stacy confronted Todd about it, and be- and it became physical yet again. But this time, it was a little bit more serious. Having just given birth to twins, the physical toll on her body caused Stacy to
3: start hemorrhaging. Stacy spoke publicly about this horrific moment. He held me down and Todd beat me until I seen stars. When a woman has a baby, you can start hemorrhaging and I started bleeding real bad. Todd put me in that bathtub. I tried to tell Todd, you know, you've got to call my mom or call it, take me to the hospital because I could die. I said, I have got to go to the hospital. No, Uh uh-uh, nope, refused to let me go. I stayed in that tub all night. I honestly just thought I was going to die. I thought that was it.
4: Well, Stacy ends up falling asleep in the tub with a tragic possibility that she may die. Of course, her mind's going there. And when she finally opened her eyes, none other than Todd was sitting there staring at her. And although you might hope that he was kind of there to help Stacy, he wasn't. In fact, Stacey recalls that the first thing Todd asked her was whether or not she learned her lesson for talking back to him. Robbie, this is an evil, evil man, right? I mean, Stacey even says that she knew if she called a cop, she would be punished by him. This is not only physical abuse, but this is psychological manipulation, I mean, which which can be worse, right? Because those are the kind of the scars that you can't see from the outside.
5: Yeah, I mean, if any of these allegations are true, then this is a truly horrific situation that probably can only end one way and for a lot of people trapped in that cycle um it'll end in in, in being killed. Yeah.
4: So I mean the fear of that is going to make us do a lot of things and accept a lot of things maybe that we wouldn't have normally accepted under those conditions. Eventually when the kids get older, Todd suggested that Stacy go on and get a job while he stays at home and watches the kids. But after working consistently and raising her children, Stacy came to the courageous realization that she is able to work full time and support her kids and that she actually didn't need Todd there at all. She started to see a way out with this and she started standing up for herself in their arguments, which I think is a really good thing. But one particular argument set a different course of events for Todd and Stacy. During an argument where Todd accused Stacy of cheating on her, Todd punched Stacy. yet another physical altercation in this very unhealthy relationship. But Stacy finally found the courage inside of her to say what she had been hoping and thinking for a while. She told Todd that he could hit her all he wants, but by the first of the year after Christmas, she was going to divorce him. You know, this kind of struck me a little bit in the case because, again, I it's hard because I'm not, I'm not her. But if it were me and someone was abusing me and I'm telling I have the courage to leave, why sort of wait until the end of the year? Do you think that was kind of with a kids' motivation involved, maybe just give it one last go? Or?
5: I'm not surprised that she waited because, you know, in a situation like that, you also have to do some planning. You have to have a place to go. You have to have some money put away. You might, you know, there there might be, maybe she doesn't have a driver's license she needs to. There there might be all kinds of reasons. Um, maybe she has a job opportunity that's coming up down the straight line. I don't know what she's training for. Or she's in school right now. There's a lot of reasons she might know that in her mind at this point what what surprises me is the fact that she gave him the heads up um that this was in an abusive relationship knowing how he's treated her in the past that she has let it be known that i'm leaving you that's a that's a little surprising to me
4: do you think it would probably be better if she didn't so that way she could kind of get out and figure it out later
5: it's hard to know what the relationship was like i mean if she was not if she was not in fear of like immediate an immediate physical reaction, then maybe that's why she thought, or maybe she thought he's ready to get out of here too. I mean, there's, it's, it, there, I'm a little confused about what the narrative is because it's, is it that he doesn't want kids and a wife or that now he wants him so bad, he won't let him go, which is it? So maybe they were at a point in their marriage where she thought I can tell him cause he's going to be relieved too. He, he doesn't want this anyways.
4: Well, in fact, his reaction to Stacy telling him this was kind of a little jarring because to, to her surprise, he doesn't really respond at all. In fact, he doesn't even say a word. So maybe this was a little bit of the shock, but maybe it was also like a little bit of relief on his point. And Stacy started to notice that things were getting a little weird with Todd as the year went on, and they were getting closer to her leaving him at the start of the year. So the timeline is now inching forward here. And one day Todd and his friends brought over a broken refrigerator that he told Stacy he was going to fix. And that wasn't even the weirdest part. Refrigerators aren't easy to carry here. He not only brought the broken refrigerator into the house, but he pushed it right up against the back door of the kitchen. All right, so things are getting tense, and he seems to be blocking entry and exit ways... This is a horrific red flag here, right, Robbieo? Or am I just being a little paranoid about where their fridge is placed here?
5: Yeah, no, I don't see this as a red flag, personally. I mean, I'm, okay. you know, if this was something he did or he, I mean, maybe I have no idea what his skill set is. Um, unless there's literally no way out other way out of the house, then it'd be a red flag. If he's, if he's preventing her from leaving home, it's a red flag. If he's saying you can't work, it's a red flag. If it's up against the kitchen, because there's nowhere else for him to put it and he's going to repair it. Or maybe, you know, then, um, and, and I will say this, I have, I've known about this case for many years and, um, just independent from my independent, uh, understanding of where that fridge was placed. When investigators got in later, they said there was room to squeeze by and actually still get through the door.
4: OK, so maybe this was a little bit of Stacy sort of reacting. To- yeah, she might
5: be perceiving like that. And I think that's perfectly legitimate. Right. Yeah.
4: Well, finally, countdown clock is kind of ticking here. And finally, in December, Stacey is running errands when a police officer finds her and says that he needs her to come with him immediately to the hospital. Stacey was understandably panicked and confused. I am understandably panicked and confused even when there's a police officer talking to me. Uh, You know, there aren't a lot of details being shared with her kind of at the time. But literally, if a police is in your presence, it can be nerve wracking. But at the hospital, unspeakable tragedy strikes. Stacey learns that not only did her house catch on fire, but all three of her children had perished within it. Stacy spoke publicly about her reaction to this unthinkable news.
3: I was like, how are my girls gone? How is this happening? I kept just holding her and rocking her. I just begged, please, just please, just please wake up, Amber. I remember just begging that, just wanting her to wake up and for it not to be real, you know? I was just, I was just in shock. I just didn't understand. How are my kids dated? Robbie, I almost
4: kind of hate to ask you to even think about this, but kind of being a mother yourself, you know, I'm not a parent, so I can't really put myself in this position, but, and being part of the true crime world and kind of knowing how this all works, what like has being part of this world made you more aware of your motherhood when it comes to children? I mean, I would find that it would heighten my senses when it comes to protecting my loved ones.
5: Has that affected you at all in the way that you parent? Um, yeah, no, Cute. it has a big impact on me. This case had—that's another reason that I've—I've I've been haunted by this case. It doesn't leave you because of the tragedy of of this circumstance. And you know, Stacy, in this situation, not a lot of people know. Stacy lost her—her her mother was murdered, and then she lost, when she was younger, her mother was murdered, and then when she—and then her own children. Wow uh to all die um in this way you know that this poor woman i i cannot imagine how she has even emotionally survived um and this kind of loss yeah it's it's beyond devastating yeah
4: one one life too much this is multiple people in her lives in her life, who were really close to
5: her. You know, my, my eldest is uh, 24. I've got a 12 and a four year old. And whenever, if they all three get in a car together, I try to avoid it. I'm like, I don't want my, all my eggs in a basket, you know, like you go separately and you go se- separately, but, but to lose all of your children at once, I can't imagine. I,
4: me neither. And while Stacy's family perishes in such a tragic way, Todd, on the other hand, survives the fire and is actually being treated in the hospital Stacy walks into Todd's hospital room and, you know, kind of demands answers here as she wasn't really around when this was happening. Todd tells Stacy that he woke up to the house filled with smoke and that he reached and looked for all of the girls but couldn't find them before he went running out of the house. He tells Stacy that the fire was too much. He couldn't get back in to save the girls. Stacy, obviously distraught at the loss of her three children, stays in the room with Todd, hoping that at least being with him would bring her some kind of comfort, but it's in this moment Todd showed even more of who he was. Stacy recalls Todd asking her, what's wrong? And Stacy, in disbelief, was like, what do you mean what's wrong? We just lost all of our girls. And at this point, Todd reassures Stacey that it'll all be okay and not to worry because they'll have more kids in the future. Robbie, this is, this, I mean, I know that we can't go on just emotional responses to things as we all kind of emote differently and have different responses, but a little bit of an odd response for a father to give about three of his children perishing in a
5: fire. No, if true, yes. I mean, absolutely. if true, if true, yes. I mean, look, I, I can't help, but look at this case as a lawyer. So what I'm want to ask is are these, have these statements been corroborated? Are these taken under oath? Right? Like, is this, are we taking this from testimony uh, at what point in the timeline were these conversations conveyed publicly or documented, right? Sometimes years later, like we misremember like conversations. Is that what happened here? Or did it really happen? I mean, if it really happened and this conversation really took place, it's absolutely um, shocking. But also if if he truly never wanted the kids, then maybe not so surprising. Yeah. Yeah.
4: But even to say, like, we'll have more is also a little odd if, if you know, this is obviously, this is definitely Stacey's version of what happened here. And even though things feel weird about his reaction, Stacey finds herself in this very new place in life. Stacey wanted to divorce Todd sort of before the fire, but after, she wants to hold on to whatever remnants of a family life she could, so she stays with him. And on Christmas Eve, Todd says that he wants to go to the house with Stacey. I don't really know if I... I Seems a little weird to maybe revisit the charred remains of a home where you lost your three children, but maybe that's also
5: a mourning technique or something, Robbie. I don't judge how people react in a yeah. in a, in, a, in a difficult situation because nobody there's no one right way to react to tragedy. Number 1, number 2 again, until you've been there, we have no idea how we would react. I, I mean, right. I don't know. Maybe I would go and sit in the ashes of my home for like years <laughs> and not leave, right? I mean, I don't know. I really don't.
4: Yeah, and I and I think that's a really good point. Obviously, we never want to judge for anyone of how they're reacting to things, but it is this revisit where things get pretty little strange and unsettling. They enter the burned remains of the house, and Todd immediately goes for a bottle of cologne that remained and begins dousing it and spraying it all through the house. Stacy recalls this awkward moment and Todd's reaction to this.
3: Todd grabs this cologne and he's dousing it back and forth. And I look and I'm like, what are you doing, Todd? He said, I'm pouring this cologne out because the twins like the smell of it. And I want the house to smell like this my cologne because they like that. I just said, no, they don't. the The twins can't even walk. You know, they surely don't have a favorite cologne.
4: And he continues doing this even in the girls' room where their children were found just days earlier. And Stacy, none the wiser, doesn't know the significance of what this could mean and kind of overlooks it at the time. And we're going to get into the significance, but obviously this is kind of a giveaway to some foul play, right? Robbie, as a lawyer, how would you analyze Todd's behavior at this point from what you know?
5: I can't. I mean, again, like, I, I, first of all, I don't think it's the job of a lawyer to analyze something like this. You have to first ask this person, why are you doing this? Maybe a psychologist, psycho, psychoanalyst could analyze it, but um, it could just be that he couldn't stand to smell the charred remains, you know, um, of his home. Mm. Um, it, we are all really heavily impacted by things like, uh, music and, and sounds and smells, you know, they trigger a lot in us. So maybe there's some kind of connection for him with that particular cologne. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it has any legal significance is what I'm trying to say. I don't think it has any evidentiary significance unless, you know, right. there's something else in the story. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This could
4: just be behavior for behavior's sake and everyone's an individual. But on January 8th, 1992, Todd is arrested. But before Todd gets out of the car for the police, he gives Stacey a cryptic and mysterious direction about what is about to happen to their lives.
3: Todd turned around and looked at me and he said, Stacy, whatever you hear after I get arrested, you don't believe it. You only listen to me and you believe what I tell you. Only believe what I say because they're going to try to make you believe a lot of stuff that's not true. I'm like, what are you talking about, Todd? And
4: Stacey's just kind of in disbelief at this point. Despite the odd behavior, she really doesn't think that Todd could have possibly murdered their children. And Robbie, I want to lean in on your incredible experience as this true crime expert and lawyer here. What does this say about Todd that he's telling her not to believe anything that the public is saying or the police are saying? I mean, if someone says that to me, it's like being like, don't think about a white elephant. Well, all I'm going to think about is a white elephant. You know, I mean, this is kind of baiting her. To, of course, believe everything that she's
5: hearing, or am I wrong about this? I mean, again, I have to couch like each one of my responses with if true, it's a red flag. Um, But, you know, on the other hand, any rational person who's being arrested already knows they're not going to, nobody, the police are not going to say nice things about you going forward. If you're being arrested for the murder of your children or anybody... You know, maybe your first reaction is like, oh, my God, I didn't do this. Don't believe anything like any of these people are saying because you already know they're not going to I mean, you're being arrested for murder. I mean, like so already, um, you know, so it could be a red flag um, if it might be. A, it might be more of a red flag, I would say, if he was being investigated and she was being questioned by the police about him. And then he said, well, don't believe me. But once you're arrested, then I mean, it's all over for you anyways. There's no good news. Right. right? <laughs>
4: Yeah, the cops aren't there to compliment you, really, and uh, say nice things. It's not a popularity contest. But Todd goes to trial, and despite her suspicions, Stacy maintains that Todd was innocent and would never do anything like, dis- like this to hurt their children. Well, when it is time for Stacy to testify on the stand, she actually admits that not only did she lie when she was at trial, but that she did it for
3: Todd. I did lie on stand for Todd. <laughs> I did it for Todd because that's what he asked. When I was asked if me and Todd had a fight before the, the fire, I said that we didn't fight, I and mean, we did. I said that Todd didn't beat me. He told me to not tell him that he had beat me with a telephone because that would make him look bad. And then I told him he'd have never hurt the kids. And I've said that several times because I still just couldn't believe a parent would kill their children. I didn't want to lie, but I just felt like I didn't have a choice with him, even though Todd was locked up I was just scared of Todd is this
4: evidence of anything like if someone lies on i mean well,
5: I'm a little confused because um what's been said here is that by the time she she that she, she testifies that she lied on the stand well which i mean When she's testifying, she is on the stand. So I'm a little bit confused about, like, the timeline there and what she's admitting to lying to. It sounds like she's admitting to lying to being asked whether he was ever abusive, whether she was ever scared of him and he was physically violent. I believe that's it. Now, you also have to remember, she wasn't home at the time this happened. I don't really think... Other than sharing the truth about their history together, what the relationship was like, that she had any real evidence about the actual crime itself. I mean, that's
4: that's actually a really good point. And this is kind of just this heartbreaking reality of domestic abuse. I mean, given this information and what she's saying,
5: is th- is this evidence to arrest somebody? No, it's not at all. I mean, there's no evidence that he actually I mean, I have, I'm have. i waiting. I'm waiting for the evidence to show me that a person who's presumed innocent is actually g- guilty. And in this case, it sounds like what she lied about was that he that, that he was not physically violent with her, that he never abused her. Um, it doesn't sound like he told her anything, like he confessed to her or anything like that. And she lied about that. So, yeah, it is problematic that she lied about um, the abuse. But at the end of the day, it wasn't like he was going to get double convict. I mean, he was convicted either way, right? With or without her testifying to that, um, it almost had nothing to do with him actually being convicted of the crime. Right. He might be a shitty
4: husband, but that doesn't really say anything else about maybe him being a killer. You know what I mean?
5: He was clearly a shitty husband. And he, in fact, um, in later years and through letters to her, but also in public interviews, uh, many times confessed to being a terrible husband.
4: Okay. So a little self-awareness with that. And Stacy's testimony doesn't help Todd's case, as I'm, I'm sure you're all imagining out there. Todd is found guilty and convicted of murder and sentenced to death. But before she could even leave the courtroom, Todd yells to Stacy to never forget him and then he didn't do it. You know, so Stacey went from kind of a family of five to losing her three children and now her husband to death row. Imagine this has got to be psychologically terror, like just a terror for her. I'm not even sure how one can kind of come back from that. And things get even more emotional and complicated for Stacy as Todd's execution date approaches. Stacy is present at Todd's execution and the moment served as one last disturbing memory for everyone involved. Stacy
3: remembers Todd entering the room and lashing out at her unexpectedly. I went to Todd's execution. He said he was innocent. And then he turned to me and started just cussing me saying... I hope you rot in hell, bitch. I remember that, and I remember him taking his arm and pushing it to give me a middle finger. But not one time did Todd ever say, I love my daughters. I never killed my daughters. He never mentions his daughter's names. I think that's what an innocent person would be yelling out. Again, shitty guy, Rabia, shitty
5: guy, but doesn't point to official guilt or evidence. I have to jump in here and say that there is absolutely no evidence in the record of this case, including the transcript of what his final words were, that any of this actually took place. In fact, the record says this. The only statement I want to make is that I'm an innocent man convicted of a crime I did not commit. I've been persecuted for 12 years for something I did not do. From God's dust I came, and to dust I will return, so the earth shall become my throne. Those are his final recorded words, and there is a, a, that is the official transcript of his execution.
4: Wow. Wow. Uh- and I and I and I imagine I wonder how many people on death row maybe say that they're in I mean, the sort of the joke is that everyone in prison says that they're innocent, right? But clearly
5: that's not true. So you can talk to any criminal defense attorney. Most people will say they are not. Especially once they're convicted. Especially people who have spent a long time in prison reflecting, growing most people who are convicted um, of crimes they committed actually do admit that they did it, but they've served their time. And so they get to and reenter society and they get to get a second chance. That's the, it's very rare to find people who will maintain their innocence for decades and decades.
4: Fascinating. And, you know, I, so I think him kind of saying that and him going on the record saying that might be, it's evidence of something, and not long after Todd was executed, there were theories and articles being released that Todd was potentially wrongfully convicted, which you're kind of potentially pointing to here. So let's break this down. Now, some articles and theories allege that the science used to convict Todd was outdated or that it was, in fact, a space heater that was a true cause of the fire. But Stacy maintains
3: there's no evidence that pointed to any of these theories. The gas was turned off. There was no gas going to that house. And also the electrical was checked, and the, and there was no electrical fire. So it is arson. But still, they were yelling it from the rooftops. Cameron Todd Bullingham was innocent. I felt like they were using him as a poster child to stop the death penalty in Texas. But find someone else because this man was not innocent. He was guilty.
4: Now, Robbie, as a lawyer who has obviously worked so closely with wrongful convictions over the years, I mean, what is your kind of take about this? Do you kind of see maybe her point of maybe using this Todd case as a chance to end the death penalty in Texas or no, not at all?
5: I want to first point something out that is missing from this narrative, and that is that Todd was offered a plea deal. He was offered a plea deal that if he pled guilty to murdering his children, he would get a life sentence and not be executed. Now, this is the state of Texas. He is definitely frying if he is found guilty. He rejected it. His lawyers and his family, his parents, tried to convince him to take the plea. He said, I will absolutely not say that I did this horrific thing. I did not kill my children. So he rejected the opportunity to save his life. Um, but And I think that says a lot. Now, beyond that, you have to look at the evidence that convicted him. The only evidence here is that the, ar- the arson investigators took the stand and said that to them, they, everything pointed to an arson. You know, like there's a lot of different things here. You can read the reports. They've gone for hundreds of pages, but that they, they found patterns that looked like an accelerant pattern, like somebody had put gasoline. There were these little V-shaped marks that showed that the fire had three different origin points. There were there were a lot of different things that they pointed to, this cracked glass The problem is, we're talking about a trial that happened in 1992. All these years later, and even a few years after he was executed, um, the the science that they the science, and I'm putting that in quotes, was completely debunked. And um, not just regional, but national uh, panels of experts and entire organizations that reviewed The testimony in this case said it was utter bullshit. Um, There's a very, very famous, it's one of the cases that like arson, like, you know, people who are being trained on these issues, experts turn to to study. It's called the Lime Street Fire. And I encourage folks to look at it. It happened just two years before these girls were killed in this fire. The Lime Street Fire, nearly the exact same circumstances took place. They found the same kind of patterns, the same kind of, the the windows had shattered in the same way in this case. And it was 100% an electrical fire. Um, And so like everything And there's no other evidence other than the evidence of these experts that has now been debunked. I mean, there's a lot of science that we think is real because of the CSI effect, because we think everything can be quantified and scientifically proven. That's a lot of bullshit. Many of these arson investigators have no professional um, degrees. Many of them are high school graduates who then just learn for their like they're mentored into the profession. I mean, back in the 90s, at least things hopefully have gotten better now. Um, so every uh, every panel that looked at this um, actually said that, you know, every organization and panel of experts that looked at this case afterwards said that um, that the, the testimony that supported his conviction was junk. And there's no other evidence but that testimony. And let me as a as a, you know, as the
4: host of Betrayal, I have to obviously balance your sort of this one side of it with saying that Stacy was saying that the electrical wires were intact and normal.
5: So there didn't seem to be any sort of messing around with that. Listen, unless Stacey is an arson investigator, and expert, I'm like, I, I get it. I look, right. I, I had a I had a, a very good friend whose house nearly burned down. It was like a 10 year old house, beautiful new subdivision, nearly burned down because of an electrical fire that happened inside a wall. Now, as a person, you know, as a civilian, I have no idea that there's some frayed wires in there, right? She has no idea what the condition of her wires are inside the house. So most of us don't know until it's too late, and that's the problem here. But also, there was, there's a, there was a couple of space heaters in the house that also could have caused the fire. In fact, um, there's a very famous expert named Dr. Gerald Hurst who recreated this exact fire, this exact fire without using any accelerant showing how a space heater would have led to the exact same conditions. Let me just say this. This does not mean he is 100% innocent. What this means is that that is not evidence, the the arson of guilt. So then you got to give me something else. Right, exactly. And, you know... uh
4: Basically, especially with a capital case and a guy is being put on death row, you kind of need to you better bring the more than one piece, especially if that piece might be debunked. And Stacey says that Todd asked her to come visit with him on death row because some things needed to be said between the two of them. Again, this is Stacy's recollection here. And Stacey visits Todd and he reveals a heartless and tragic detail about the fire, saying he didn't even try to save the girls. And then he just walked right
3: out of the house. And two weeks before he was executed on January the 31st, I went and visited with him on death row. When I went in there, I didn't know if Todd had done it or not. That's when I found out the truth. He said, Stacy, honestly, I I didn't even go in there. I didn't even try to save the girls. I just walked out of the house. He goes, you were not gonna leave me. You were not divorcing me. And the only thing I could think of is if you didn't have Amber, Carmen, or Cameron, you couldn't leave me and go have kids with someone else. You could only have an Amber, Carmen, and Cameron with me. And when he said that, it's like that night at the hospital came into my mind. I'm like, he told me that the day of the fire. He told me, don't worry, because we'll have another Amber, Carmen, and Cameron he said, I took what I knew would hurt you to make you stay with me. I'm so stupid for what I've done. After Todd had told me what he had done, he wanted me to write a letter and tell them that I would rather Todd spend life in prison than to be executed. She gets up, walks out on the
4: spot, and it was the last time Stacy ever spoke to Todd I mean, kind of imagine hearing this confession, if if true, uh, hearing this confession from the man you once loved, the father of your children who were no longer with you, uh, and then he asks you for a favor. That feels a little—of course, this is Stacey's version, but that feels a little shitty. Okay, look— <laughs>
5: Again, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this as somebody who is both a criminal investigator and a lawyer and who works on these yes. cases. When That's you are visit when you are visiting folks in prison, they record conversations unless you are an attorney and then this privilege and then it's not recorded. So I would like to hear the recording of that conversation to make sure it actually happened the way she's remembering and all these years later. The second thing is when you are in the system, you know exactly how it works. If he's requesting that she makes an effort to make sure he gets life versus, versus death, that would be before he's on death row and before he's sentenced. Once you're sentenced, there's no... A letter would do nothing for him. Um, a letter from her might have helped in, in before the sentencing phase, before he actually got on death row. And so maybe it happened then and she's misremembering. And, and that's certainly possible. Once he's on death row, a letter from somebody is not going to make any kind of difference and anybody incarcerated knows that. So I think she might have gotten her timeline mixed up there.
4: Well, Stacy struggles with the idea that people think she defended Todd or that Todd was somehow innocent. I've
3: read where people say, you defended Todd all these years. I defended Todd for 10 months, not 13 years. And then I had read where one of the reporters had come to my house and interviewed me, and I told him that Todd didn't confess to me and all that, and that wasn't true. I I never said that. The people that say that I lied, they're right. I did lie on stand for Todd. But I didn't lie about what Todd told me. Todd was not innocent. He took my life and what future I might have had away from me. And Stacy maintains that Todd was guilty of
4: murdering their three children. Now, Rabia, you have a lot of thoughts on this case. And let me just say, when I was researching it, from what I knew, it does seem it almost seemed cut and dry to me. It seemed almost clear from what we were hearing from Stacy that Todd had done it. But I know that the Innocence Project, which I'm very much so involved with and love, uh, took on this case. And they fully believe that this was a wrongful conviction and um, that the evidence just wasn't good enough to convict this man. Is that your take on this? I mean, what do you believe a wrong... A, an innocent man was executed.
5: You know, I've worked with a lot of different innocence projects. Many of our cases for Undisclosed come from innocence projects. And I want people to understand that when an innocence project is representing somebody, they have done a lot of vetting before they do that. They get hundreds. Every single chapter will get hundreds of requests, and they can't take them. They'll take maybe four or five, a year, maybe less, maybe two. So when a pro, when, when one chapter decides they're going to invest their resources, time, energy, the one staff lawyer they have, the one investor it's because they have done the vetting. So when a pro- when a case comes to me from a pro- from an Innocence Project, I don't really have to do the initial vetting anymore. I already know that a team of experts that have, that does this work day in and day out for decades has already done the vetting. Um, and so I am always shocked that people don't get, give deference to organizations like the Innocence Project, knowing that this is their line of work, knowing that they prioritize the cases, that they absolutely 100% are positive. It's, it's And if an Innocence Project was representing him, I am pretty confident and comfortable um, saying that he likely was a horrible human being who did not murder his children.
4: That is a very good point. I mean, they've kind of, they do go out on a limb and pr- really fight these cases that are almost impossible. So you'd imagine that they wouldn't take on something that they didn't fully believe in. Um, and something
5: that could ruin their reputations and lose their funding over. I mean, come on, it's there's a lot at stake when they do this. When you look at this case, though, before I let you go, I'm why wasn't Stacey
4: kind of Questioned on this more is it just because Todd sort of fit the narrative of maybe a killer and it was easy to believe as maybe I fell into that trap as well. I mean, what's kind of your lawyerly take on this?
5: First of all, Stacey was not home when this happened. Um, State there were Stacey was questioned initially and um, she had initially her statement supported Todd said he could never do it. Uh, she said in in her initial statements that. Her daughter, the the one that was a little bit older, the 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 elder daughter, that she would sometimes put things into the space heater, like, you know, you know how kids will chuck stuff, like a sock or something. Sure. That she would do that, and that Stacy herself remembered the space heater being on that morning when she left because it was a chilly morning. She was initially, um, but she she couldn't offer anything that would help the investigators actually prosecute or convict. Um, convict Todd. Like she wasn't offering them anything helpful. Everything she said actually pointed to it likely being arson.
4: And so why? So then why arrest him? I mean, was it just this narrative that he so easily fits into because he was a shitty husband? I mean, is that really it?
5: No, I think what happens is like, you know, it is in this case, the arson, the lead arson investigator, uh, you know, he was a little cocky. He had said on tri- a trial, I believe that he had investigated about 1500 arson cases and almost all of them or 1500 fires and almost all of them were actually arson cases, oh. Oh. you know, and that's actually probably impossible. At least 50 percent of fires and in, instructors are actually found to be not arson and are usually because of wiring or some other kind of, you know, a kitchen fire or other reasons. So for him to say, I've investigated 1500 fires and almost all were arsons means he has a bit of a bias uh, and it was a hundred percent him. He just walked through it. And he also was a really big personality. I think there was a film made about like, he was known to be this guy who just could, he was like the fire whisperer. He could just walk into a scene of a fire and tell you, this is what happened. And this would happen. It was extreme confidence in, in his skills, which were actually um, completely debunked <laughs> later. So
4: Yeah, sometimes an expert, using air quotes here, isn't maybe an expert or maybe they're too cocky and you kind of need fresh eyes on on stuff. But fascinating case. And Todd's betrayal was one that sent shockwaves through the family in the most unsettling of ways and kind of through the country and still is today. I just want to thank my incredibly talented and intellectual friend, Rabia Chaudhry, for joining me to break down this case today. You- Gave me a lot to think about, Rabia, as always, and I'm sure you gave everyone else out there a lot to think about. Um, And Rabia, tell everyone where they can listen and follow you these days, because I'm sure people want to.
5: Well, folks can still listen to me and my team of lawyers at Undisclosed Podcast. It's on every app. We've gone through about 20-odd cases and helped exonerate uh, about a dozen defendants. You can follow me on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, it's Squared, and, uh, and I'm pretty much always online. Thanks so much, Darren, for having me. She's my hero, people. And I'm Darren Karp. Thank you so much for
4: joining me on this week's episode. For fan reactions and more, head over to crimefeed.com/podcasts. And for more true crime TV like this, be sure to download the Discovery Plus app today.
1: Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.